I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 25th, 1991 at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, California, where we are honoring the best movies of 1990 at the 63rd Annual Academy Awards. Billy Crystal is hosting again, second time in a row, second time overall, and we've had a great night with a diverse number of winners, lots of people winning lots of awards, but one movie seeming to be the favorite, so let's go ahead and grab that envelope, please. And the Oscar goes to Dances with Wolves, Jim Wilson and Kevin Costner. Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, Please, a podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. We are your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. And we are in a new decade now. Welcome to the 90s, everybody. A um, couple of things I just want to briefly mention about this ceremony that I think is fabulous. We have a couple of honorary Oscar winners this year. Two of my absolute favorites. I think it's insane that they gave honorary awards to both Sophia Loren and Myrna Loy in the same year. How amazing is that? <laughs> That's such a... I mean, it's so interesting. And Sophia Loren's actually at the ceremony this time around. She did not make the ceremony whenever um, she won Best Actress 30 years prior. So she actually gets to accept her honorary in person. Um, It's interesting, too, because Sophia Loren, um, at this point in time, is in her 50s. You know, she's she's not... She's only 55 when she wins her... Or 54, going to turn 55, when she wins her... uh, Her... um, Her honorary oscar which is it's kind of young for it does an feel honorary young. award winner it does. but she is without a doubt the um uh probably the biggest italian star of all time definitely so, yeah definitely and then you have myrna loy an actress who definitely deserved oscar attention i mean this is mm-hmm. a woman who was never even nominated absolutely insane insanity so i do feel like her honorary award is extra special just because this is clearly a makeup oscar too for i mean her decades of incredible performances we've talked about many on this podcast and there's many more as well that we you know haven't mentioned yet but she has been she is an amazing actress so she definitely deserves this honorary award yes it's interesting that it took so long um to honor her uh and there were several opportunities the most, I think, uh, blind-sided situation um, <laughs> is when she did not get a supporting actress nomination for the best years of our lives. Correct. Probably because she was billed first, and maybe they tried to push her for lead, but she should have been represented for her performance in that movie. She should have been uh, nominated for The Thin Man. At the time, there were only three nominees so that probably had something to do with it i think um but you know i think she also just made what she did look so easy you know that's so true that's true her her um the roles she took and took on throughout her you know decades in hollywood are a bit more of those thankless parts right nothing Mm -hmm. super flashy but always very grounded and real and i think we can appreciate that now since You know, our movies deal with realism a whole lot more than Hollywood of the 30s and 40s. That was a bit more escapism still, right? And I think she really does represent a more modern style of acting that wasn't quite appreciated yet back in those decades. She's very natural, very naturalistic, and and very um, down-to-earth, homespun. Yeah. um, Which is super interesting because the part she was typecast as before The Thin Man were as exotics, you know? Um, and she she played um, uh, a, a very inappropriately a lot of um, non-white characters in her very early days of Hollywood. Um, but yes. then uh, the Thin Man happened, 
and it changed the trajectory of her career. And in 1937, she was awarded, um, she was named, I should say, the Queen of Hollywood with Clark Gable as the king. So, I mean, wow. there you go. There um, you go. Love that. So, glad to that she got that. I believe Angelica Houston presented her the award. I've seen the clip. And... Um, she it's literally she's uh she's like at a a live video feed she's not at the ceremony i think she lived in new york at the time she was a lot older and um the camera just literally goes in on her and she says thank you and that's it (laughs) that's all you have to say at that point in time like that's all you need to say it's like thank you give me my damn oscar let's move the ceremony along (laughs) um anyway uh billy crystal's back again uh, throwing the jokes out, doing his little musical thing like he always does. Yes. Um, this feels uh, to me very much like we are in... The, I mean, like, the 90s, in my opinion, is a kind of high point for the ceremony in general. We get a lot of uh, really solid shows from both Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg, uh, who will start hosting in just a couple years. Um, maybe next year. Is it next year her first um, time hosting? Am that I could be. That up? Um, uh, nope. We're we got a we got a couple more years of Billy Crystal before we get to Whoopi Goldberg, but um, but regardless, like I consider them. Maybe it's because it's the first ceremonies I remember, but I consider them kind of a golden age of Oscar. Yes, you know? um, definitely, definitely. The nineties. Well, you know, we've been talking to uh, over the course of this podcast on how. Bit by bit, this ceremony is starting to look like what it looks like today. And I think the and 90s is where we really start to see that shape uh, come into shape, right? And I think the 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 downside of that is there also gets to be, I, I think, throughout the 80s it was established. And I really think a lot of the 90s winners hold true to this idea of what an Oscar movie looks like. Right. And so we get a lot of movies that end up winning Best Picture that I don't know if retroactively they are the best choice because they are, in my opinion, just checking Oscar boxes. That is you know? very true. And a great segue into movies that I think we should talk about in the snubs category because you're absolutely <laughs> right. This is kind of a bizarre year. I feel like there are quite a few movies, performances that are um missing <laughs> from this year right so i want to talk about a couple here um let's start with the movie edward scissorhands i think this is now a classic oh. film and definitely yes. one of tim burton's best and one of johnny depp's best as well it has one nomination this year for makeup that is the only nomination it received and i'm over here just wondering where is the nomination for score for Danny Elfman? Where is the nomination for the art direction in this movie, which I think is probably the most impressive takeaway of the film? Where are all these nominations? Cinematography, this movie is shot gorgeously in Burbank with all the colors, the way it's all formatted on the screen. This movie's a stunning visual experience. And I think it's just um, just awful that it only received one nomination. Big snub for me. I... I... I couldn't agree more. Edward Scissorhands is uh, a holiday favorite um, that has, uh, you know, such a, so many great performances. I love um, and would have loved seeing represented, even though it's kind of a cameo in the Best Supporting Actor race, uh, Vincent Price's uh, wonderful (laughs) uh, uh, turn in the prologue of that movie. There was an old man from the Cape who made himself garments of crepe. When asked, will they tear, he replied, here and there, but they keep such a beautiful shape. <laughs> um, and, uh, of course, uh, I think it's uh, not our first performance uh, from Winona Ryder, but, uh, but I love her performance. I think she does a great job playing the older beautiful. version of the character. But, yeah. you know... Um, who I really, really like in the movie who is not represented is Diane Weist. Mm-hmm. I She's just put good in, in everything. Actress. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's kind of like the Meryl of the Best Supporting Actress category now, it seems like. There's always something she's done that deserves recognition, and she wins twice, you know? And 100%, I could fully see her 
I just want to give her something for something that isn't a Woody Allen movie. That's what I would Well, that would be so nice, wouldn't it? I think (laughs) the only reason I leave that off is because I think our supporting actress winner for this year is spoken for and, you know what I mean, I don't think we need to crowd the category any more than it actually is. Oh, But I do have a couple other actresses that I would have also liked to have seen. Although there's maybe somebody I would take out, but anyway. (laughs) Yes. There's a couple (laughs) other actresses that I would have liked to have seen in our supporting actress race, though. The first Uh would be Laura San Giacomo in Pretty Woman. She's Kit DeLuca. 50 bucks, Grandpa, for 75 the wife can watch. I think she's Uh wonderful in Pretty Woman. And where is Shirley MacLaine in Postcards from the Edge? Where... Is Shirley Where McLean. Is Shirley McLean. Can I this is a good segue actually. Go Can for I, it. I I I wanna talk about the snubs for postcards from the edge. Please um, lay them on me. Okay, so postcards from the edge, in my opinion, is a very underrated film. Um you and I have talked many times about how much we like Mike Nichols as a director. But you pair Mike Nichols with the just absolutely wonderful sardonic wit of Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are just in for a one-of-a-kind movie that I don't think is like any other film. Because it's such an internal, um, like an on-the-inside look at what um, recovery is like. Um, what being an actress in Hollywood is like. You're getting it from the source. And uh, Carrie Fisher is such uh, is such a good writer. If nobody, if you haven't read her um, uh, her uh, memoirs, she has several that are out: um, Wishful Drinking, Shockaholic, and The Princess Diarist, all of which are excellent. Um, of course, she also wrote a few novels, including Postcards from the Edge, which was then made into this movie and expanded for this movie. Um, and the big hook that they added from, I believe this is not, I haven't read the novel, but according to an interview I watched with Carrie Fisher last night, she added in, uh, more structure to the screenplay because the novel was more of, um, less story driven. And Mm -hmm. so she added in the mother character and she was very specific in saying, this is not Debbie Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure sure yeah okay <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't yes. know how much of that is true she said the finding <laughs> that they have as the as the characters is more like when they were teenagers and not what their adult relationship was like at all so take that for what it's worth but um but regardless there is something that rings very very true about that mother-daughter relationship it's a just one i think it's a love story mm. in a way between the two of them as they learn to respect each other, appreciate each other. Um, you know, the fight on the staircase, I think, is probably the most famous moment in yes. the movie. But whenever um, Shirley MacLaine says, uh, it just twirled up, um, <laughs> whatever, however she says that. Yeah. Is, Remember my 17th birthday party when you lifted your skirt up in front of all those I people? I did not including lift my that guy skirt. Michael. It up! Just genius. Um, it's a very different character for Meryl. It's uh, Meryl singing, which, you know, we always enjoy seeing. Um, because she is what? Professionally trained. Yes. Because she's what? A, a quintal triplet threat she's the um, threat <laughs> she is the threat she is all the threats um i'm i'm happy that she got a nomination for this but this should have been in screenplay yes it should have been i would have put it in picture certainly director, I would have put it, right i would have put it in director as well and i'll tell you one of the reasons i would have put it there um we'll get to the best picture winner but another reason i would have put it there is because the Godfather Part Three is nowhere near the level of Godfather's One and Two, and should not have as many nominations as it has. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank <laughs> you. Listen, we can keep Andy Garcia in there. I think his supporting actor nomination is fine. He's obviously the best part of the movie. But I mean, you're and absolutely hats right. off to everybody for attempting. I mean, like, I, I you, to try and follow it up is. And, and I think Ridiculous. I think a lot of I think a lot of the beats they hit feel true to how those lives would play out. Mm-hmm. I like the ending of the movie. 
Um, and going back to oranges, which you know is the big right. thematic thing in the film. But but it does not carry the weight. It doesn't have the gravity. Oh, I also like um, what they do with Talia Shire's character, where she becomes comes kind of Lady Macbethish. Um, yeah. All of that said, it is a decent film. It may even be a good movie, but it is not a great film. It is not up to the level of Goodfellas and Ghosts and Awakenings and uh, Postcards from the Edge. And that picture nomination takes away something from something like Postcards from the Edge or um, Edward Scissorhands. It also, I think the director nomination takes away a very unjust here. Another snob I'm about to submit. Did no one direct Awakenings? Why? <laughs> um, why is yes. this critically lauded film directed by a woman not in the best director race? It mm-hmm. is insane. And it's going to get more insane when we have the exact same thing happen a year from now. So Absolutely. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. Yeah, Awakenings um, was very looked over. You're, you're correct. Yes. So uh, there's a lot in here. But honestly, in my opinion, better than the Best Picture winner, better than Godfather Part 3, is Pretty Woman. I mean, honestly, um, I, I think that there are several movies that could have been... I, Dick Tracy's a really super fun movie. It probably doesn't deserve to be in the Best Picture race, but it's it's better than some of the nominees, <laughs> is my point, you know? Correct. <laughs> um, correct, and, correct. So I, I'm just, uh, I'm just confused. I, true. I don't I'll know. throw another one in there too for you for, um, for a best picture consideration. My spotlight for the week is Misery. We have oh, our my God. leading yes. actress winner, yes. right? We have a leading actress winner, Kathy that Bates here. That should be in best picture. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is a performance I would like to highlight this week. Um, if you haven't seen Misery, it is about a famous writer named Paul Sheldon who has a car accident while driving down the side of a snowy mountain. And he's saved by a woman named Annie Wilkes, who claims to be his number one fan. She takes him in, helps nurse him back to health. But when Paul kills off her favorite character in the book, things take a turn for the worse. Dum-dum-dum! This is a Stephen King adaptation, and in my opinion, is the best Stephen King adaptation. I will say that even over Carrie, as much as I love Carrie. I think Misery is a better movie, and a better adaptation. Um, The Shining. Maybe The Shining. Oh! Like, okay. Maybe um, The Shining is the better... But Stephen King wouldn't agree with me. But... Stephen King would not agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> blasphemy, blasphemy. He does not like The Shining, but I think um, The Shining is a great I movie. guess if, okay. we're gonna, like, if we're talking about like what stays truest to the source material, I think Misery does the best job Misery. of marriage, both yes. novel and image to That's screen. That's fair. Yes. Um, and I love that Kathy Bates get a, gets an Oscar for this movie, because this is a movie that really put her on the so map. Good. Before this movie, she was... Hardly known. She'd done a couple of other parts, but nothing major. Nothing had given her any kind of recognition or certainly any kind of acclaim like this movie. Kathy Bates struggled most of her teens, 20s, 30s, 40s in the acting business doing just bit parts, small parts, stuff on... She did have a very good career on stage and in television, but it wasn't in Hollywood until this movie. And I love that it's kind of this story of... Some people just don't get that recognition until they turn a certain age, which is always much older than you think it is, right? When you get into the acting business, you're like, oh, I'm going to be famous by the time I'm 25 or 30. And then 30 comes around, then 35 comes around, and then you're 40, and it's like, what the hell am I still doing here? And she stuck with it. Thank God she stuck with it. Kathy Bates is one of our greatest actresses alive today. Um, And this is such a showcase for her talent. I think everyone will... I'm sure everyone has seen in some form or fashion another the hobbling scene where she breaks his ankles on the bed. But the scene that I think is the most, oh, I don't know, well acted by her is when she comes into his room and it's raining outside and we get a different side of Annie, right? She's, she's always very like jovial and smiling happy or she's the opposite. She's pissed off and angry and she's beating the shit out of him. But... This is where we see depressed Annie. She comes in and just hands him his medication and stuff, and he even notices, too. He looks at her and says, Annie, what's wrong? Annie, what is it? The rain. Sometimes it gives me the blues. 
When you first came here, I only loved the writer part of Paul Sheldon. But now I know I love the rest of him, too. Because there's a part of Paul that does care for Annie, and I think that's kind of a fucked up relationship that doesn't really get discussed a whole lot in the movie, but there is a part of him that cares about how she's doing. And she just tells him, the rain makes me blue. And it's on her face. I just think it's so well acted. And it, there's so many shades to Annie Wilkes. And we see it all in her face. And I think mm -hmm. she, no one else could have done this part. And what's interesting is both Angelica Houston and Bette Medler um, were given, offered the role first. And they both turned it down. What a different movie would this be if we had It'd Bette be... Medler in this role? I mean, it'd be... I think the thing that that Kathy Bates gives this is it is it keeps it from being campy. I don't know. Yeah, she grounds well, it in reality. She does, and the thing that's I think missed about this movie too is there is a layer of humor here. This movie is also very funny. It's a little tongue in cheek. It is suspenseful. But, but I mean, the way she reacts and responds, it yes. could very easily turn into camp territory. And maybe that's what yeah. would have happened if Bette Medler had been in the role. I don't know. She seems a bit more campy to me, right? But it role. is the fact that, it, that it's Kathy Bates, a very unknown actress. And I think that plays a huge part in it, too. Is audiences weren't really familiar with who this woman was. When you see her up there, you kind of think of her as this unknown character. I guess we're going to trust that she's helping James Kahn. Oh, she's a little creepy. What's going on? You know what I mean? I just think there's... Yes. It's genius casting. Genius casting. And uh, it's... it's Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I love that she wins this Oscar. So well-deserved. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this Oscar run. And, and could easily be in Kathy Best Bates. Picture. Yes, another, I think, perfectly um, legitimate, uh, better Best Picture nominee um, in a year with many of them um i uh yeah no i agree with everything that you say about this i have nothing i love to add. that i love that do you have anything else you want to spotlight or should we just get into the main event well there is something that i actually this is probably more snubs um but bring them on i uh i would be remiss if i didn't mention the fact that i think one of the most famous movies of all time came out this year home alone um, and, uh, while I'm very happy that Home Alone got some representation at the Oscars, um, again, I think that this was a movie that was maybe seen as a popcorn flick, but I think it's better than a popcorn flick. Oh, yeah. Um, I would have liked to have seen it in more of the major categories. I think that Macaulay Culkin gives a great performance in the film. He One does? of the best kid, kid performances, maybe, of all time. So... I wouldn't have been upset about seeing him recognized over some people who were nominated. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, let's face uh, it. The best actor race this year is messy. This race is messy. It's messy. <laughs> it's a messy. I don't world. understand it. It's a messy, messy year. Um, and uh, nobody from Goodfellas. Um, yeah. The movie that acted itself, the, mo <laughs> the, the movie that directed itself. I mean, like, goodness. Um, uh, but, you know, as, as stacked as the supporting actress races, I, man, I would have loved to have found a way to give, um, our patron saint of Schitt's Creek, um, <laughs> uh, the one, the only, the magnificent Catherine O'Hara. Kevin! Um, would have loved to have seen her represented in supporting actress, but regardless, I, that, I understand it's a, it, that's a stacked category. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where exactly would I put that. I love the fact that it gets a that John Williams gets a score nomination for that oh, yes. because the score for for Home Alone is is absolutely wonderful. And the one thing that I will spotlight, I guess you would say, about Dances with Wolves is John Barry's incredible score for that movie, which is is reminiscent in sound of Out of Africa. A hundred percent. I was it's hoping you were going to bring up the score. I was hoping you would bring this up. It is very similar to Out of Africa. Enough, but I might not have awarded it because of its similarity and given it to something like Home Alone. Just because that's a very different score than other John Williams scores. Whereas 
Dances with Wolves feels like a cousin uh, out of Africa. It's very appropriate for the film, so it's not a bad thing. It's just True. it's just interesting to me that it is very similar. Um, yes. Well, you know what? You're kind of bridging our gap here, so let's just dive into Dances with Wolves here, folks. Here we have our main topic. Now, Dances with Wolves is, it is an epic western to the fullest extent. <laughs> uh, here's a bit, a little plot summary for you. So after his suicide attempt turns into a victory in combat, Lieutenant John Dunbar, who is Kevin Costner, is allowed to take a post wherever he wants. So he chooses to go to Fort Hayes to see the American frontier before it's gone. While there, he meets members of the Sioux Indian tribe, whom he strikes up a friendship with and eventually becomes a member of their family. But when the rest of the white soldiers finally arrive at Fort Hayes, Dunbar must then choose where his true loyalties lie. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about Dances with Wolves, Rands. I know you saw this for the first time. Um, I, I rewatched this too. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie. My family... Um, this is one of the uh, movies that my dad really, really likes. I think it's kind of a dad movie. It really feels like that, right? It is a dad movie. That's, it's kind of that's a dad a movie. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Here's what I want to say about it. I don't think this is a bad movie. This is a very good movie. It is a good movie. I think it has its heart in the right place. Mm-hmm. I just think it falls short of meeting its goals a little bit here. Yes. I have to admit, by the end of the first half of it, right, that first... I guess hour and 30, 45 minutes or so. I was very charmed. I was very charmed. I kind of was getting on board. And then the second half of the movie kind of fell apart for me. What did you think? Um, you know, maybe my feelings would be different had I grown up with it the way that you did. But I was <laughs> so bored. Um, I I thought that... I, I didn't like um, the diary entries sections. You mean from... all of his voiceover work? It's good to finally have some company. So much goes unsaid, though, and I have the feeling that these people, the quiet one in particular, want something from me. Made presents of coffee and most of the sugar. It didn't figure to last anyway. Don't believe I'd go too far in saying that a foundation for good relations is being laid. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't think... I didn't mind Kevin Costner's performance when he wasn't doing a voiceover, but I didn't find the voiceover sections felt very much like reading to me. Oh, it felt like, like that. yeah, it felt like it was a placeholder. It was like, we're just going to put this here for now. We're going to come back and fix this, so. And then they never did. That's really what it feels like. It it's was also... really poorly done. I get that it was a plot point, but it was also, to me, unnecessary because we were seeing everything that it was telling us. Exactly, and it's trying to tell you, know? you how to feel at the end of a moment, and I hate it when movies do that. Like, no, we yes. feel it. We can see this, too. You don't need to tell me what I need to feel. The music's felt, also accomplishing that. We understand. <laughs> it felt very on the nose. Um, and I just, um, I, I appreciate the fact that the movie is attempting to um, do justice to Native Americans. Yes. That does not change the fact that it is white people telling the story. And And that is the true problem, right? It is a true issue with this. Who is telling this story? A bunch of white people. It's oh and it's still it still becomes a white savior film. It still becomes a white savior film, even if it is one that has good intentions. And um I, I, I just, um, I don't think it's the most egregious example of that. I, I think that it is a competently made film. Um, I think the cinematography is great. Um, I think the music is great. 
I just, I think it's entire, apparently there's a four-hour version, too. Um, I read about that. Listen, when I actually first um, Googled it to find where to watch it, that was the only thing that popped up. It said it was three hours and 50 minutes. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, absolutely not. I don't know if I can do this. Thankfully, the version on Netflix is three hours. But even Bingo. still, Bingo. Um, that's the theatrical cut. But um, but I, um, I thought there was a lot of material in there that was totally unnecessary. That was just driving mm-hmm. home points over and over again. I didn't love um, the entire romantic story with mary mcdonald um who does fine in the role um i don't know there was just something that felt really weird to me about that entire story that entire story um yeah it's weird it's weird because here we have a white woman who has grown up with this sioux indian tribe her most of her life so she stopped speaking english now she's sort of being forced to speak english again for the first time and it feels. And then she falls for the white guy. Yeah, it just feels awkward. It does feel awkward. You're right. In a way that feels subservient. I don't know. I just. Didn't it really does it. because she just completely. Well, she's she's supposed to represent this like um, strong feminine character in this tribe because she is stands with a fist. That's her name, right? We hear yeah. all about her backstory and how she gets that name, and then very but quickly Kevin when Costner she meets, breaks her down. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. very quickly we see that just go away, and then she just automatically now does whatever. But Kevin also, Costner, John Dunbar wants before, her to do. Even before we find out her name is Stands with a Fist, um, even before we find that out, when we first see her, she is physically harming herself. Um, trying to commit suicide. Trying to commit suicide. Um, and that doesn't sound like the care. I don't know who she's supposed to... I feel like we're given several different variations of who she's supposed to be. And I think Mary McDonald does the best job she can stringing together um, a, a movie that uh, doesn't care that much about its female characters, I don't think. But um, but uh, anyway. And then, you know, it's just... Uh, um, I don't know. It's still, it's still very... It, there's a feeling about it to me that's very much like, well, let's just watch Kevin Costner solve racism <laughs> true let's actually get into that you i do want to talk more about this white savior narrative of the film yes. for me it's it's definitely most obvious in the second half when mm. they're battling the other native american tribe and it mm. seems like they're only able to win because kevin costner brings them guns right that's kind of what brings them on top and they finally defeat them and yada 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 yada, yada. so it's kind of like without Kevin Costner without the guns they would and not have won. And then he's revered with yes, the tribe. and then he's yeah totally totally totally. My thing with that though then is so yes he absolutely saves them. He is their white savior in that part of the movie. Mm-hmm. But then what about in the end of the film when he gets captured and it's then uh, the Sioux tribe that saves him? Is there any kind of redemption in that? Do you feel? I um, I mean honestly by that point of the movie I was just so annoyed. Um, that, um, asleep. <laughs> um, you know, cause it, I don't know, it, it's still Kevin Costner's story, even regardless of who is saving whom it's, it, it just feels, um, it feels like an attempt, um, by a white person to, um, connect with and relate to Native Americans. And I think that that is not necessarily a bad thing to do it just it it just feels very dated to me and i um on top of that it on top of all of that i also find the movie very long and very boring um so it's very long it is very long um, so okay follow up with that then um i had a point and i'm going to bring it up now and that point is here's the point so by the end of the movie, right, we have, we've seen all this stuff, it's, it's all gone down, and then we just get a very little snippet at the end, a little postscript there that says, you know, in 13 years from now, the final members of the Sioux tribe had to give up their land because the whites have finally taken over. And for me personally, I'm like, well, there's your movie. 
Let's watch that, because that's the actual history. That's what actually happened in reality. And to me, if that's the story being told, then we're actually opening up this conversation now of, oh my god, white settlers stole these people's land. And unless you're talking about that in a film about white settlement in native lands, then you're not doing it justice. Yeah. I, I mean, and the fact that that's only a postscript to me says a lot about yeah. what the filmmakers were comfortable presenting. Romanticizing it, right? Yes. And this ultimately... film feels like a giant romance of what the West used to be like. It's like, yes, but let's remember why it used to be that way. Yes. <laughs> There's much more dramatic conflict that we're not getting in this movie. Instead, yes. we're getting a white guy becoming a Native American and disappearing to society. I don't know. But you're right. I do think there's... And that's what I was saying at the beginning of this episode where I'm like, it doesn't meet its goals. Because again, it refuses to actually have that conversation. And all of the other white soldiers are also painted in such a disgusting way. You know what I mean? It's it's This is a very Hollywood version of this, right? We know immediately who the good guys are. We know immediately who the bad guys are. And there's no gray area. He makes it as simple for us as possible. But this isn't a simple topic. You cannot talk about this in simplistic terms. It yes. doesn't work that way. And I think that's I mean, what you're that's talking very, about. Very yeah. good point. Because ultimately, in relating to one tribe we're villainizing another tribe mm -hmm. you know absolutely absolutely and, and so there's still uh, I, I don't know it 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 feels so simplistic and so dumbed down uh for me um and i um i just did not care for it and i think there are much better movies that came out in 1990 all right, let's talk about some of the maybe redeeming qualities of Dances with Wolves. Was there any section that you were like, okay, this is actually visually stunning? I'm trying to talk about the buffalo um, hunt, which is often cited as kind of the main section of this movie that everyone's like, you know, it's kind of like um, the chariot race in Ben-Hur. This is kind of its version of its chariot race, right? What about that? Did you, did you enjoy that? Uh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you something? What really bothered me about this movie is all of the depiction of animal death that we get. I personally hated it when his horse was shot. Oh, and yeah. And when the wolf oh, that was, was very, shot. That was very I found harrowing. it incredibly unnecessary and disgusting. I was very appalled. I was like, I don't remember this happening. And I'm like, I bet you my parents probably made me close my eyes because it would have upset me as a kid. Uh, you know, I didn't. I, I, I'm, I'm really talking down on it. It's not. It's not terrible. Um, um, and I don't think it's as problematic as Driving Miss Daisy was last year. Mm -hmm. Um. But interestingly, I think I, I think Driving Miss Daisy is a better flowing film than this. One oh, definitely, is. definitely. Um, it's also literally half the length. Um, <laughs> it matters. We know how I feel about the length of movies. Um, how many sittings did it take to watch this one, Rance? I watched it in one sitting because I because I saved oh, it actually, for today. I'm impressed. So I had I'm to. Impressed. Um, but that maybe didn't help me because that just made me more frustrated because I was like, I was oh, going to say that irritate you extra left, <laughs> um, you know, um, uh, but let's talk about and, it. Though. I do think this movie is gorgeously shot. The photography in this movie is yeah, stunning. It's really pretty. But I do think like if you close your eyes, it, it does sound like you're watching an Out of Africa, or even you're watching a Lawrence of Arabia. I think this movie has stolen from every epic movie of the past that this doesn't feel authentic even a little bit anymore. No, you're very... It's interesting because um, the original uh, uh, Maurice Jari uh, received his last Oscar nomination um, this year for Ghost. So, um, oh. how how interesting that uh, you mentioned Lawrence of Arabia whenever he um, bingo bingo uh, uh, which Ghost does have a great 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 score as well, but um, uh, 
And even <laughs> though it can't be used for original song, it it probably has the best use of a song. And <laughs> of all time. <laughs> um, and it, but it would not qualify because Unchained Melody was not written for, obviously, it's much older than that. But um, uh, anyway. Um, Let's take a look yeah. at the acting it nominations could, this movie got. Yeah. I want to talk about the acting nominations. So I think it's we're, we're both concluding here that Kevin Costner does not belong in the best actor race. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. I mean, he can be... I mean, I, I, it, it was a huge undertaking. The director nomination, I, I'll let him have. Fair. I guess. After discussing Fair. it and you pointing out a lot of good qualities, I, I'll let him <laughs> keep the director nomination. I'm not on board with his actor nomination. Yeah, I don't. I don't agree with his actor nomination That's either. That's where Macaulay Culkin goes. Bingo. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, okay, so Mary McDonald. We don't like that either, right? I kind of don't either. No. I well, kinda... we mentioned so many other people who could have been in that. So scene, many other know? people. And it's I, not even. Um... I had read that that four hour version you talked about has more of their romance in it. I guess that was um, mainly what they cut to get down to our three-hour runtime. They cut a lot of that subplot. So I'd enjoy that version even less? Is that what you're telling me? Probably. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think what we're left with, with her performance, isn't strong enough to warrant a nomination. I don't know. I With what we said, I don't like the trajectory her character takes. I don't... Uh, yeah, I don't it all feels kind of false to me and very, like... Force just to move the plot along. She's kind of a plot device, right? She is a plot device. You are 100% correct in saying that. All right, so what do we think of the final nomination? Graham Greene, supporting actor, playing Kicking Bird, our holy man. He is a lone representative here from the Native American actors in this movie. I'm on board with his nomination. I think his is the most compelling. I think he's the most compelling part of the movie and i think that he um to me uh uh, made the largest impression on me as the characters that weren't forced to make an impression on me um yeah i think we all kind of fall in love with him i really loved his final moment in the end when he's giving mm -hmm. a gift to kevin costner and kevin costner's giving a gift to him and they both realize they're doing the exact same time i think that's a really cute moment but i think it's cute because of the way he plays it because he's so serious the whole time and then finally we see this guard come down just a little bit as he's getting a little emotional. I think that was a really, uh-huh. really good moment. You know, um, I don't think Kevin Costner's a, a bad actor by any stretch of <laughs> imagination. I'm, I, I want to make sure that's clear. Um, just in case Kevin ever <laughs> listens to our podcast and is wondering uh, why, why, if he's wondering if I hate him or not. Um, I, um, I think the thing is, I just... Um, I think he's more of a movie star. Very that. If that makes any sense. Um, it does. Well, I just don't think this is a good part in general. I don't know if I would like any actor playing this role. Right? I, I feel like it's very... I mean, like... To me, the moment at the beginning, wherever he runs through and doesn't get shot, and he's like Very this, corny, right? It's, it's very corny. It's very corny. It's not real. It's not... Mm-hmm. There's nothing There's nothing about it that rings true to me. I don't like these, you know... I, I mean, like, it's. Um, it feels like a Jesus character. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. Well, that's, you know, adding into the white savior narrative where we're seeing the very mm-hmm. beginning, oh, this is a man who literally can't die, and now he's saving the Native Americans. He's literally, yeah, you're right. There's mm-hmm. some sort of, like, holiness about him, too, yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't like that. I don't, I like, don't like it. Like that at all. I don't like me it. Me either, me either. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't like it at all. Um, yeah. Okay, my, my final question for you is, do you think this movie deserved to win screenplay? No, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> let's remember yeah, that. I agree. Let's remember that uh, Carrie Fisher is not nominated for her screenplay. This play. is true. Yeah, um, very true. And uh, so, no, I'm not okay with anyone else winning when the person I wanted to win wasn't even <laughs> nominated that year, you know? Yeah. So, no. No, no. So the answer um, is... No. Okay, so would you then even keep Dances with Wolves in the Best Picture race? Or would you literally just get rid of it altogether? No, we're done with it. It's fine. Bye-bye. 
<laughs> it's gone. It should not be here. Should not be here. It should be mentioned that Dances with Wolves was a humongous commercial I, success. It was. It was. People Making over it. $400 million at the worldwide box office. This was a mammoth movie at the box office, which I think we're also seeing here, too, is really starting to matter to Oscar, mm-hmm. how much money your yeah. movie is making here, right? It matters. And the fact that this is also, you know, an epic. Oscar loves its epics. And they this is the this is epic. also being credited as revitalizing the Western film genre. You know, we get another Western winning Best Picture only a couple of years from now. We get tons yeah. of Western movies coming out in the 90s because of how well Dances with Wolves did. So this movie did strike a chord with audiences. I just it don't did. think it was for the you correct reasons. Correct. You are correct. It did strike a chord. That doesn't mean we have to <laughs> give it best picture. Uh, I agree. You no, know I totally what? agree with you. A lot of movies make a lot of money, Sam, that aren't necessarily great films. So um, you're, right. you're right. You're absolutely right. So I, um, you know, sometimes audiences get it right. Sometimes it's Dances with Wolves. That's all <laughs> I have to say. Um, I agree. I don't want it in the Best Picture race either. I don't think it deserves to be here. I don't um, But it. of the other four nominated, what is your Best Picture winner? Uh, of these nominated? Uh, of these nominated. Prob- uh, probably Goodfellas. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Okay. okay, I mean, that is what this race came down to. It was very much Goodfellas versus Dances with Wolves. And I think the narrative here was that Goodfellas was a bit too bloody, a bit too Scorsese, shall we say. And yeah, I just don't think they responded quite as well. It's also, I mean, like, but it's maybe the most Scorsese of all the Scorseses. And so... Um, oh, yes, I mean, even know, Scorsese he, starts to remake Goodfellas in the next few years as well. <laughs> like, he just does this movie over and over and over again. <laughs> I think Goodfellas uh, is the best of these mob films. Yes, I'm talking about Casino. I, yes, I am. <laughs> I was say, are you talking about Casino? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Um, and The Departed. Whatever, think, it's fine. Um, and he does end up winning for one of um, his... Uh, uh, what's the other one? The other... Um, uh, Gangs of New York, isn't that him? Gangs of New York is also him, yes. Yeah, yes. He loves um, his gangs. He loves his mobs. He loves his violence. Yes, he does. You know, and I I think my favorite Scorsese's are when he breaks away from that. And I I think that in a couple years we're going to talk about something that should have been nominated for Best Picture Mm -hmm. and wasn't. That is a Scorsese film and probably my favorite Scorsese film. Um, Are you, do you know what I'm, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, uh, (laughs) I, um, uh, and I love it when Scorsese goes out of his wheelhouse, you know. Um, me too. But he d- me too. But 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 Goodfellas is maybe the best example of what he does best. And, yes. Hundred um, percent agree with that. Yes. And I think it's a shame that he couldn't have gotten his award for um, something that's very representative of what his contribution to cinema is. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting that this this snub happened exactly ten years after people think he was. The last time he was, uh, people think he was snubbed. Um, <laughs> and again, lost I... to another big time movie star turned director for the first time, winning for his first movie. Happened to him twice. Yeah, but far more um, deserved the first time around. Um, so, uh... okay, so Goodfellas <laughs> is your pick from these nominees. My pick yeah. is Ghost. Ghost would be my oh, best picture winner of this fun. year. Fun. I mean, like, I'm what not upset about that. What a fun Best Picture winner that would be. It would be a fun Best Picture winner. And I will say, I think that we have all, these last few years, used the Molly, you in danger, girl um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> meme many times over. Um, <laughs> uh, for with sure. Molly I mean, I think Ghost is... For other words, but yes. Like America, I think Ghost is the most entertaining of this bunch. It's definitely a movie that I've seen a billion times now. Yes. And I gotta give it to Whoopi. I mean, I just think she makes this movie work so well. She gives that levity we need, right? And and um, I also think we have great performances from Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze in here, too. And Sam Goldwyn is, um, I can't think of his name right now in the movie, but the evil guy. 
who we don't think is evil. Yes. Um, I can't, can't think, think of, of it. it. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but uh, I I think it's a great little movie. I think that um, it has... Uh, you know what it, it kind of feels to me like? It feels a little like old school Hollywood comes to the 90s in a way. Because yeah. it has it has such great star power, um, you know, and uh, I mean, like you you kind of get the feeling that in a different day and age, Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore might have been uh, more luminary, iconic stars if they had had the studio system behind them, and uh, and so very you true. have them at the center, and that feels very old school Hollywood, and then you have. Uh, Whoopi giving one of the best supporting performances um ever uh you know and and slam dunking that oscar should have been her second oscar but um this is true just saying <laughs> um uh i think it's uh i think it's a a lovely little uh cinema anomaly i don't know um so yeah i I, so I wouldn't i it i it's maybe not what i would pick but i would much happier with that and my best my favorite movie of 1990 just to be clear is postcards from the edge so there we go and mine is yeah. ghost too ghost is my favorite of 1990 um well the Meryl movie is my favorite and yeah who'd have thought right who'd have thought don't worry we'll get to way more Meryl movies that i think are the best of the year we're getting there <laughs> i'm also a tremendously big um a tremendously big uh carrie fisher aficionado um and so her participation in that film has a lot to do with my my love of it so that makes sense ghost postcards from the edge those are our two favorites of the year i love that i think that says a lot about us i think it does i think that's i think we picked the gayest ones we possibly could (laughs) if that's what you're saying (laughs) that is hands down what i am saying what are we talking about next week, Rance? Next week we are talking about a movie that we will uh, need to quantify again for reasons. But yes. I think this time around, um, I'm just going to say it, like the movie next year is one of my favorite films ever made. Me too. So. We'll be discussing 1991's The Silence of the Lambs. We have our first horror picture Winning Best Picture. Um, yeah, I love this movie too. It's one of my all-time favorites. First of two. First of two. Yes, indeed. Up until a That'll couple years ago, there only been one, but now there are two. So <laughs> Very excited to talk about this movie. Another one to sweep the top five at the Oscars. So join us next week. We will break down 1991's The Silence of the Lambs. Just tell them Checking out this heartbreak hotel. I ain't gonna live on lonely street no more, no more. I found a new love and a new place to dwell where teardrops ain't. Up in the floor 